Luke chapter 22. Have your Bibles as you're turning there. Thank you for your prayers. I appreciate that very much. You need to know how important that is. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 39, our Lord in His Passion Week is going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there as His normal custom, He is going to to pray. And He uh, goes there in a particular manner, preparing for the reality that the time has come. Remember how often he would say, it is not yet my time. Uh, it, it is not yet my time. But then you remember that transition as you get closer and he says, he turned his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Boy, isn't that an interesting expression? He turned his face like flint toward Jerusalem and he said, the time has come. And so today I want you to join with me and I want you to enter into um, the suffering of Christ. More often than not, we think about the suffering of the Lord as He's nailed to the cross. And by all means, that atonement and that suffering for our sakes is something to be reckoned with. But the work of our Lord in terms of His walk upon this earth and His suffering and His woe um, is most clearly found in his walk upon the earth too, in his active obedience in walking before his Father to accomplish the work that was set before him. And now we come to that time right before the arrest and the humiliation and the crucifixion. And I want you to join with me and I want you to sense uh, with me the life of Christ as he prays in the garden. Uh, Luke chapter 22 Beginning with verse 39, hear the word of the Lord. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And Then may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy and precious word of God from The Gospel of Luke. Pray with me. Lord, uh, bless your word to our hearts now. Speak to us concerning um, the depths of, Lord, uh, your love for your children and the things that you 
suffered on their behalf. Lord, we move toward that time of remembrance toward Easter. And Lord, it is good to set our hearts upon the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and who He is as the Son of God and His redemption as Messiah. Father, we we thank You for Him. Lord, may this world never obscure the precious gospel and the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may You always be honored among us. And Lord, may Your praise ever rise from Your people because of Your great love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as He uh, does set His face toward Jerusalem, we find that what begins to take place is that there is becoming now a sense of what is ahead. Our Lord, um, our Lord experiences it. He experiences, and, and I think the thing that struck me about this passage was the little statement is that he was in agony and prayed more earnestly. Boy, you, you don't think of your Redeemer, your Savior, as being in such a position. He was, he was in agony and he prayed more earnestly. As a matter of fact, he prays so earnestly that the blood drops fall from his brow. Whether that's a simile or whether that's real, I'm not sure because it says like, but I actually think that it was that intense. I I want you to see this morning um, uh, the tension that is beginning to rise now as our Lord moves near the cross and what was going on in his life and the burden that he was bearing even before he was nailed to the cross because sometimes we, we limit uh, the suffering of Christ simply to the cross and, and it's more than that. And uh, Jesus suffered long before uh, that cross which was so critical for your salvation and mine. And I want you to see uh, what our Lord was suffering and what He was experiencing. And I'll just read a little passage to you from Isaiah 53. You know that passage, don't you? Of the suffering servant of our Lord, um, Isaiah 53. And I'll just turn right over there and listen to this. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. To fall on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So did he not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment 
he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned to be with the wicked men, yet with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would not render himself as a, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And has it not been true? But think about the, the great benefits that you and I enjoy as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were purchased at great price. And simply to bring us to a position before the Lord that we honor Him and worship Him, I want you to appreciate the depths of His suffering and His grief this morning with me in this particular experience of the Garden of Gethsemane. One of the things that you notice from a practical position as Jesus begins to experience this agony of the prospect of the cross Remember that he turns to his father in prayer, as was his custom. It was not a new thing. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer when something is wrong or when it hurts. Um, No, our Lord, it was his custom to go to his father. And now uh, the cross was very near and reality was beginning to set in at the price that was going to have to be paid for your salvation and mine by the giving of His own life. Remember that our Lord never knew a time apart from the fellowship and the joy of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And now the Son of God is approaching the cross for you and me. And one of the things that I noticed was that as Jesus goes out in to the garden, it's very interesting that he doesn't take all of the disciples. Um, one has gone to betraying. Eight are left after the Passover meal. And he takes only three with him. Peter, James, and John. Remember the transfiguration that we looked at in Scripture? Same. He asked Peter, James, and John to go with him just a little ways. But then something takes place. He tells them to stay there. And he goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane alone. And that really struck me that uh, for your salvation and mine, uh, this cup was the cup that the Lord had to bear alone. It was not a group effort. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was not uh, something that someone else could take for him. But the Lord Jesus Christ moves in the Garden of Gethsemane away from even the three most trusted of his disciples. And he walks out into the garden and being in agony, in agony, He earnestly prays to His Father. There are a number of things going on in this particular situation. 
that situation is uh, that the cross is imminent. And when Jesus prays in this context, um, remember that uh, all that's taken place leading up to the cross, actually I think that there's a spiritual reality that we don't fully comprehend when we come to uh, this approach to Jerusalem and this Passion Week as as the cross becomes closer and closer, I think the temptations are greater and greater and greater upon the Lord and upon His disciples. Think about the work and, the, and, and Satan entered Judas. Boy, doesn't that strike you? I don't know about you, but that really just overwhelms me about, uh, about Judas's betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, right at that time, and Satan entered Judas. How powerful. I mean, that's scary in a way. Uh, and, and Judas is led by the predetermined plan of God to be the, the one who betrays the Lord. Um, and our Lord Jesus Christ, um, as he ponders this, what he begins to see is that there, um, there is a cup to bear. And as he prays, this is what he he says in that context. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. And it's quoted. I like, these are the Lord's prayer as he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays, um, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, may your will be done. And remember, he's praying this in real agony before God, in real pain, real grief, real suffering. And um, what you began to See, in, in this context is that uh, you never find it hard. I don't, I don't think, I've, as I've studied Scripture through the years, I don't believe I've ever found it any other place where uh, the Lord Jesus expresses His will as over against the will of the Father. I, I don't believe I've found that anywhere else in Scripture where the Son says no. But... Here you find the distinctness of the second person of the Trinity under the pressing realization of the cross and what it means. And sometimes we, we misapprehend the meaning of the cross and we misapprehend the sufferings. And when we do, we lighten the whole perspective of, of what we have been saved from in sin. Sin is very sinful. Sin is very dark. And it moves in such a way that we all have to pray that we enter not into temptation. Isn't that what Jesus tells them at the beginning? Couldn't you pray with me just an hour? Pray that the, you might not be led into temptation. He prays that at the beginning, or He tells the disciples at the beginning of this, that they might not be led into temptation. And then He goes and lies prostrate before the Father, and He prays in agony, earnestly praying to the Father. And my dear friends, uh, the spiritual warfare and the battle that must have been going on at this point uh, must have been overwhelming. 
Father, let this cup pass from me. But if not, your will be done. That prayer is, some people have difficulty with that, reconciling the will of the Son and the will of the Father. It was the will of the Father that He he go to the cross for our sakes. It was very important. And our Lord Jesus Christ begins to realize what that means fully. That He is going to have to bear the iniquity and the sins of us all in Himself. He's going to have to, there's a mention of a cup here. Did you notice it? Let this cup pass from me. And my dear friends, let me tell you just a little bit about that cup. That cup is the cup of God's wrath against sin in this world. And my dear friends, think about how sin has grieved your heart and how it has grieved my heart. Think about the depths of it. And our Lord Jesus Christ now has the prospect of having not only to just put the cup to his lips, not to just taste of that cup, but the Father says, now you must drink the whole cup of my judgment for sin. My dear friends, if you and I understood the magnitude of that, if you and I were put in that context and that cup was in somehow figuratively before us and the Lord would say to us, put that, put that cup to your lips. Do you know that in one instance as we even attempted to put that cup to our lips and even touch the cup, you and I would have been obliterated. We would have been obliterated. But now our Lord Jesus is going to have to drink of that cup the cup of His wrath. And many don't catch that in Isaiah 53, that the transgressions of us all were laid were laid on Him. And it pleased the Lord. Isn't that, boy, you, you want, it pleased the Lord to put upon Him the sorrow and the grief and the punishment of us all. And so the Son, I'm convinced that you and I should appreciate that great experience of of the Lord as He moves. I don't believe that I have the words to really explain to you of the veil uncovered spiritually of what is going on in the intensity of it even at this moment concerning our Lord Jesus Christ as He moves toward the, the cross. Even then He is in grief and in agony and He's beginning to sense the abandonment of His Father. And I would ask you to put yourselves in that position. What, what would it be like? What would it be like to be abandoned by your Father? But not abandoned. I, I love the position of Scripture that even after this suffering, He would not suffer to see His Son lost. And He raised Him up and showed Himself um, glorious at the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there you find uh, the great agony of the Lord as He prepares as He prepares for the cross. Father, if Thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but Thine be done. It's a, 
It's a prayer that uh, is prayed in agony. And it's, a, it's one of those prayers. Have you ever prayed in a persevering way, in a, in a burdened way? Have you prayed before? Uh, our Lord persistently went to His Father. This is also a filial prayer. It's a prayer of, uh, of love for His Father and a cherishing of that relationship with, with Him. It's a, it's a prayer that uh, is sharing with the Lord the burden of His heart and expressing His will to the Father. But it's also um, a prayer of resignation, isn't it? Isn't it? It's because one might not appreciate the prayer of the Lord saying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. But it's certainly honest in the light of the spiritual warfare that is going on at this time and the abandonment that is going to take place in terms of the Lord's work, in terms of the sin being laid upon Him for our sake. And as he prays this prayer, uh, he seeks out his Father's face. And he ultimately, at the end of this prayer, of which you and I have a tremendous privilege to, to listen to and to be engaged with, that this, this prayer is an opportunity for us to see our Lord's relationship with his Father. And it's a, a tremendous prayer uh, of our Lord that uh, pours out his soul and his concern concerning the things of the cross to to his father and uh, as you look and see this unfold we see that uh, he goes back after this prayer well one thing before that because verse 43 is so very important verse 43 it's inserted as Jesus is praying and remember his disciples are here and the others are doing their other business, and he is praying. And in this agony, it says in verse 43, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Now, I, I, I'm amazed at this um, time of prayer in which our Lord is in agony, and he is pouring out his heart before his Father concerning the cup that is going to be laid upon him and that he must drink from. And my dear friends, it says that there was an angel. There was an angel there strengthening him. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That little, just that little spiritual insight. And my dear friends, I'm convinced that there were more angels than that <laughs> around. And I remember the words of, of our Lord, uh, you know, if, uh, if, if I desired, I would call from heaven and there would be thousands of angels that would come. But my dear friends, just think about the, the strengthening of, of God's design even to His Son to endure the cross. We probably could not bear that agony and that grief. But He was ministered to. And I think that that ministry um, continues and I think that it, in the end, it comes out as a, a resulting victory over Satan. Um, Satan is nipping at the heels of Jesus at this point in a very precise and clear 
clear way. And as, as he's in that experience of having to bear that spiritual attack, Jesus is calling upon his Father in prayer. He is coming to the full realization of now what is, what is before him. But there is victory. It seems like that at the end of this prayer um, and this ministering of the angel to him, strengthening him, it appears to me that when Jesus gets up from the prayer, he's calm and he's at peace. He's resolved. It, it almost is the victory has already been accomplished in a way. And Jesus gets up. And I think at this point he does set his face toward the cross Knowing, there's a little passage where it says, knowing everything that would soon take place. Knowing that everything that would soon take place, Jesus seems to, after this time, seems to move with calmness and peace toward the cross. And He does so and He he encounters His disciples and He comes to them and He said, and being in agony, He was praying very fervently And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he arose from prayer, or the depth of that prayer, the agony of that prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you might not enter into temptation. I don't know about you, but when you get sick or you face some kind of trouble, don't you just want to go and... Just remove yourself and <laughs> you just want to get away from the world a little bit and you just want to relax. And um, there's another passage where Jesus says in this context, three times Jesus comes back to where they are in the other passages in the Gospels and he finds them sleeping. He finds them sleeping. And he said, could you not, first of all, could you not watch with me just one hour? And then another place he says, the spirit is willing, but what? You know the little verse, don't you? Uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think Jesus Christ understood and came to the point of the resolve uh, that it was only by the strength given to him to endure the cross for a weak people. And we, indeed, we, we are weak, and we do fall short, and we have fallen short. But praise be to God who has saved us through the work of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this particular context, uh, the Lord is mindful of his own disciples. And here we're given warning. We're given encouragement to pray always in the Spirit. We're, we're given uh, that sense of direct um, encouragement to seek the Lord's face in all matters of our life, to leave nothing undone, and to call upon him. I was thinking about uh, the cup of the Lord, and I was looking at Revelation 14. And this is what uh, that passage in Revelation 14 says. And another angel came out of the temple, verse 17, 14, 17. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him, who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, 
because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And I, I don't know about you, I've read this time and time again, and it's amazing to apply this to the sacrifice of Christ. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. What does that remind you of? And the winepress was trodden. That is, have you ever... <laughs> the grapes. And, uh, and the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Now you look at that picture in Revelation 14. And what is it talking about? I mean, sometimes the imagery of Revelation baffles us, but don't you understand that that picture in Revelation 14 is a picture of the time has come. The angel comes out of the temple and makes the announcement to the angel who has the sickle. And he cuts the vines of God's wrath and he puts them in the wine press. And my dear friends, the wine press is trodden. That is, the wrath of God is poured out in the image of pressing the wine out of the grapes. That is, the time has come to pay the price that is due for sin. And the wine press is trodden and it spills over and it gives you that it's almost, when I think of, tried to think about the image of the level of where this blood was, that it was pouring out and it was up to the bridle of the horse. And, and what you get is that now this warfare, this pouring out of God's wrath is not incidental. The pouring out of this wrath of God in the wine press has been designed and it is, it is the whole ball of wax and it is in the vat and God treads the wine press and therefore our Lord's blood is shed and He suffers for our sake. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fatal lightning of His terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. His terrible swift sword was put to His Son for your sake. bore it from the day he was born in Bethlehem to the cross that he bore at Calvary. May God never allow us to underestimate the price that our Lord Jesus Christ had to pray for you and for me to be saved from this evil world. Amen? Amen. May God have mercy. May God have mercy upon us and His Son to love Him. Do you believe that the Lord bore your sin on Calvary? How much do you believe 
that Jesus bore for you at Calvary. Do you really realize how deep and how far the Lord went to save you? May God be with you. And may it bring you joy. By His stripes, we are healed. And we have joy in our healing. Amen. Praise be to Him to whom we belong and who gave His life for us. Let's pray. Father, we bow before You this day and we thank You for Your Word. Father, we believe that it is important for the church to proclaim the gospel of Your Son in all circumstances, in season and out of season. May Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, be praised among us. Lord, we pray that You would rule and overrule in all things. May no one in this world, even spiritual being, take our joy and the Lord away from us. But Lord, our hearts are heavy. And Lord, even when our hearts are heavy, we thank You that we can cast ourselves completely upon Your mercy and that You are the God of our life who holds us up in the strength of our life. Lord, I thank You for the way You bring Your disciples to a position of trusting in You and looking to You for everything. You have a way of reminding us of that. Lord, Peter has been one that has... uh, has pronounced His ability. Lord, let all these others deny You, but I will never deny You, Lord. And Lord, uh, You told Him even during this period of time that we're preaching about this morning, Simon, the Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for You. Lord, I pray that You would be with us in the spiritual warfare. Be with us in this world. And Peter finally comes to the place of restoration and is called to serve the Lord among his brethren. And the Lord asks him, Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter finally comes to that position. Lord, you know all things about me. You know that I love you. Lord, sometimes you have to truly bring us to that position. And I pray, Father, that you would be merciful as you humble us. Be with us, Lord, and help us to find our joy in you alone and our help in you. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, to our help. In his name we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn is nothing but the blood of Jesus. 307, we'll stand and sing the verses.
receive the benediction. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace and mercy of God the Son, and the fellowship and comfort of God the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.